0: Well, wise parents and other wise people await for the day uh, when a son or a daughter or a grandchild or some young person that they uh, concern themselves with um, gets to the place in life where they are willing to perform a job or a task patiently foregoing the immediate reward of pleasure in exchange for a future reward or payment at a more distant time. That's called deferred gratification. That's when you give your child a quarter and instead of rushing off to spend it on candy, they maybe save it because they can get more candy later after. <laughs> Anyway, that's the idea. <clears throat> now, some adults never learn this, of course, and um, and um, you know they um, they they never see the payoff right away, and they become impatient and unwilling uh, to wait. They may in fact accept some sort of um, uh, they may forego some better and larger promise, um, uh, and they say to themselves uh, for the future and say, well, "Well, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush." Um, But but that doesn't come from the Bible, (laughs) and it's not always true. But living by faith does take patience and and an appreciation of the value of the future. That was certainly the case with the patriarch Abraham, Abraham. and it's Abraham that we come to in our study through Hebrews this evening. Abraham, uh, in Hebrews uh, chapter 11, uh, verses um, 8 through 10, Hebrews 11, we're going to look first at um, verses 8 through 10 of, um, of that text. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So we'll look at these texts, if I can make this... I need to look, mate. Come on. Take that. Over here. Over here. All right. Our (laughs) loss. It's not. um, No, never mind. There we go. I (laughs) didn't know. All right, well, I'll signal you. So you can go ahead with A point A. So the backstory about this um, this man Abraham or Abram, as he was first known, is very well documented uh, in the scriptures. In fact, there's 14 full chapters of the book of Genesis given over to Abraham, and that's because Abraham was such a significant figure in redemptive history. That's a that's an important expression for us. It means that the history of the unfolding of God's work in redeeming his people. Um, the inspired writer uh, to Hebrews uh, carefully puts first things first by telling us uh, of this, uh, this man, Abraham, by faith obeyed God when he was called. Faith and obedience follows the initial call. I mean, no one exercises faith. No one follows Jesus without first being awakened from spiritual death uh, by God's effectual call. As our Lord Jesus once put it, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me calls him. Joshua, the successor to Moses, in reminding us, uh, the Israelites, of their sacred history and speaking for God, says this about Abraham. He says, long ago, your fathers lived... Uh, beyond the, the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, and they served other gods. And then I, the Lord God, took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him uh, through all the land of Canaan and made uh, his offspring many. So. You see, Abram, um, like his father uh, Terah, was an out-and-out pagan serving false gods. He would have lived and died a pagan uh, and an idolater, a lost man, had God not uh, called him and rescued him. Uh, He didn't merit God's mercies. Uh, There was nothing that we're told of that was particularly worthy about uh, him, worthy of God's choice of him. Uh, but for his own sovereign purposes, and out of his grace and love and for his own glory, God set his love upon this man, Abraham, and sovereignly called him and changed his name uh, to Abraham, uh, the father of nations. And so it is with every one of us who are, uh, belong to the Lord. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. We're idolaters. We died to God. We're dead to spiritual reality. We're dead and completely disinterested in truth until God calls us and regenerates us and gives us a, a lively interest in Christ and a measure of faith. Everyone needs to be called by God. No one in the world was ever saved without first being called and regenerate regenerated. And if someone should say to themselves, well, has God called me to himself? Would he even have me? Well, the answer is, why don't you ask him? And say to him, Lord, you know I need you. I'm a sinner and I can't help myself and I want to follow you. Please call me to yourself. Give me faith and save me. I don't think God will ignore that prayer. But well, whatever you do, Never try to use God's sovereign election as an excuse for not confessing Christ, saying to yourself something like, well, God never called me, it's not my fault, or, it's on him. No, it's on you. Uh, we are, every one of us, responsible to confess Christ. Now, back to Abraham. Having called Abraham, um, he responds uh, in obedience uh, to God. Uh, just as we need to. And and he sets a great example for us in faith. He he takes his wife Sarah and his nephew Lot uh, and all of his possessions, leaving everything else behind, all his kinfolk and home and and comforts behind him, And, and he does what God requires of him. He leaves Haran and sets out, not even knowing exactly where he was going. Would you do that? Will you do that? Will you follow the Lord? Will you obey the Lord? Whatever that means. Point B. Um, God calls us today through his word. Uh, it might be through reading the Bible. It might be from hearing the Bible, a spoken word at church or in a Bible study or from some friend who witnesses to you. Um, the means or the manner of, by which God calls us out of darkness into light, is his word. Uh, That's uh, why he called Abraham. But when we're called, we must respond in faith. We must actively trust in Jesus. In repentance, as I've said, we must forsake ourselves, our likes and dislikes and opinions, and become a servant of Christ. This call to God to follow him requires not only uh, leaving sin, uh, but also parting with sinful company and whatever else might hinder us from a Christian life. In John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, he, he describes Christian, who was formerly called graceless, uh, as rushing off when he receives the call as, he, as he's convicted. You know, and he rushes off, we're told, uh, crying, life, life, eternal life, with his, with his fingers in his ears, to suppress the voices and the influences of neighbors and friends and family members who who are are calling out after him and imploring him to come back, Uh, but he won't won't do it, calling him back to the world, calling him back to his former way of life, uh, calling him a fool. But Christian hears the, the call of his God and is determined to leave the city of destruction and to follow Christ, like Abraham, wherever God would take him in his life. Sometimes the following of Christ is inconvenient and out of step with the prevailing cultural drift. Christians don't necessarily go with the flow. They they try at least to go with God and God's revealed will. Active faith also is a commitment to the fact that pure chance doesn't rule the world that means that believing in everything that uh, in everything and knowing all things don't just don't just happen um, in fact everything that happens happens because God made it to happen that God planned it and purposed it to happen that way even things that don't appear to be very good at all we might wonder why God would things happen the way let things happen the way they do uh, this faith by which we're Called, nevertheless, it's not a blind faith. Uh, It's a faith uh, in a God who's clearly revealed himself to us in in his creation and in his word, and has uh, given us, um, which he's given us to lead us uh, in his way. Uh, It's a completely different way of looking at life and a completely different way of looking at history, past and future. That takes us to my second point and really the ninth verse. Um, A stranger in a strange land, the first point of that, point A. Let's look at this ninth verse. Um, Let me read it to you again, this time in the New International Translation. Uh, By faith he, that is Abraham, made his home in the Promised Land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob who were heirs with him of the same promise. So, here the, the writer is remarking upon the irony of the fact that although Abraham possessed by divine decree and promise the entire land of Canaan, in practice he didn't have anything. He, he lived there like a stranger, like a resident alien. He lived in tents. He was forced to move around whenever he fell into conflict with his you know, Canaanite neighbors who were jealous of him or afraid of him, a foreigner who appeared to come out of nowhere, but upon whom God's blessing was unmistakably evident. Year after year, writes the late F. F. Bruce, he pitched his tent, moving tent, among the settled inhabitants of Palestine, and them but not of them, commanding their respect as a prince of God but owning not a square foot of land until he was compelled to buy a field from one of the inhabitants to bury his beloved wife Sarah. Maybe from time to time you might feel a little bit that way about your life in the world. <clears throat> As Christians we're citizens of heaven, the new Canaan, and we never feel or should feel altogether at home in this world, in this age. for. We are also alien uh, residents, we, we too are in the world and yet not of the world and certainly not embraced by the world, which often identifies us as being at odds with them. Um, going back to Pilgrim's progress, when Christian and his friend Faithful um, are compelled to pass through the city of Vanity Fair. Uh, where they, uh, they're they immediately identified and regarded with suspicion uh, and even hatred for being very evidently disinterested and unsympathetic to the business of the city. They were clearly different. They had different values. They looked different and they had different purposes. Uh, even when we, you and I, are not openly censorious uh, of the values or the or the practices of the world and don't venture so much as a word of disagreement or admonition, it usually becomes evident from our lives that uh, we don't altogether approve of everything that passes around us. And some people hate that. They not only require us, particularly in this day and age, uh, simply to, um, to allow them with their, in their activities and their lifestyles, but they also want us to give hearty approval of them. But this we cannot always do. The idolatry, the the abuse of the Sabbath, the abuse of God's name and attributes, the flouting of his authority, the murder, the rampant and approved sexual immorality, the lying and cheating and unabashed materialism. We we can't agree with that. Uh, And when we see these sort of things in our own heart, when we spot them and identify them in our own lives, we're we're deeply disappointed and we we turn away in repentance and and purpose to live otherwise. When we see them all around us, they remind us that this world is not a friendly home and uh, a harbor for us in any way. Point B. Listen also to this uh, admonition of the Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs. He says, The scriptures plainly tell us that we must behave ourselves here as pilgrims and strangers. Consider what your condition is. You are pilgrims and strangers, so do not think to satisfy yourselves here, and let us not be (coughs) troubled when we see other men have great wealth, but we have not. Why? We are going to another country. You are, as it were, only lodging here for a night. If you were to live a hundred years, in comparison to eternity, it's not as much as a night. It is though you were traveling through and had come simply to an end." And all that's really true. Like our spiritual father Abraham, we are pilgrims in this world, and we must reconcile ourselves to that fact. In fact, we must continually pry our hearts loose from the values and and expectations and love of the world, and we'll find ourselves in the place of Lot's life. Now, you remember that woman, uh, living with her husband and daughters in Sodom, uh, living a life of such pleasure and luxury that she was unwilling to leave. She had to be hustled away by those angels, and even then she was condemned with the city when she looked back with deep longing and desire. Her heart was not in Canaan, it was not in heaven. It was back in Sodom, and with Sodom she was judged. So we can always ask ourselves, where is our heart? Is it with the world, or is it secured uh, by faith to a better, more wholesome uh, place in heaven? Uh, The Apostle John urges us with these words. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, uh, the, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God uh, lives forever. First John 2, 5 to seven fifteen 15-17. Uh, Romans 3, the secret. Now to verse 10. Um, In verse 10, uh, here's the verse that underlies, in fact, the very sentiment that Jeremiah Burroughs referenced in the quotation, which has been also referenced and bolstered by these references to Pilgrim's Progress. For he, uh, Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. That's verse 10. Point A. Well, what's the great history of uh, the great secret, rather, uh, of the saints? Uh, What is it that enabled uh, Abraham and his spiritual sons and daughters down through the ages to press through difficult circumstances and difficult years? What is it that gives us motivation and, and strength to live as Abraham and to take this text seriously? Uh, to soldier on in our pilgrim walk, turning our faces away from the fool's gold of this life and age. Well, Ultimately, it's the sure promise of a better country, even heaven itself. A city that has foundations, whose builder and uh, founder and designer is God. Uh, God prospered. Abraham in Canaan. He had great wealth, he had a large family, but Canaan never succeeded in taking his eyes off of the prize. What tugged at Abraham's heart, what Abraham understood, and that's the testimony of scripture, was that that his real home would never be found in Palestine. And that's what drove him on. That's what gave him of the motivation and the hope and the desire and the grace to press on through life. Uh, Faithful to God to the end, to the eternal city which God had prepared for him. Point B, a faithful view of things to come. One more reference to Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. This, of course, the allegory of the Christian life, the central figure whose name is Christian and whom we readers are to see ourselves. A Christian having been to the cross where his sins are forgiven and he loses the burden of his sin, begins his life journey toward the celestial city, which is, of course, heaven. And along the way, he encounters many trials and challenges and difficulties that are typical of the Christian life. He wanders off the straight and narrow path for what appears to be an easier way of life, only to narrowly escape with his life-doubting castle being terrorized by its proprietor, a giant named Despair. Uh, he meets with various deceptive characters who seek to lead him astray. But at length, you may recall, and this is early in the account, he arrives at house beautiful, where he's refreshed and equipped for the rest of his journey. He's shown various things. Um, he's anxious to press on, but he's convinced to climb a nearby mountain, so-called the so-called delectable mountains. Bunyan you know, always comes up with these very, very you know telling expressions and names the delectable mountains where he gets this breathtaking view of the celestial city, of heaven itself and all of its beauty and all of its promise. And it was in the strength of that vision that he was able to face what would come next in his life. Spiritual warfare with Apollyon, the devil, terrible days to the valley of the shadow of death, and Vanity Fair, of which I've already referred, where his good friend was martyred, and many other dangers and struggles even crossing over the river of death uh, we sang of this earlier uh, to arrive in heaven where he's greeted by name and carried off in the very presence of Christ. If your heart is ever saddened and, and read, the, read that last section of Pilgrim when he crosses over, he has a hard time crossing over the river of death He despairs, even to the very end, that he'll make it. But he does make it. Of course he makes it. And he's carried up. And the description of heaven is is worth the price of that old, wonderful book. Well, it's that vision, really, that he had um, at the delectable mountains that got him there. And so you and I, in the same way, and this is what I've been speaking of really all evening, um, need to hold in our hearts, unashamedly, the vision, the hope, the promise of the city whose foundation, whose architect and builder is God. Uh, Faith holds onto that tenaciously throughout our lives. It becomes, in fact, more and more precious to us with every passing year of life and with every difficulty. And we become more and more weary and disgusted with life. It's just the way the Lord does it. And by the time we're ready, we're just ready, usually. Um, A life of faith requires patience and requires vision and determination. Once for all, and then every day thereafter, Christ must be our choice. And you must be his choice, which is to say that you must hear his voice calling to you to turn and forsake sin and believe on him. Uh, That has been the place of believers through the ages. Now next week, um, Lord willing, we'll turn to the faith of Sarah. Uh, But let me skip over her for right now and conclude by directing your hearts and ears to verses 13 to 16 of the text. So we're just jumping over Sarah. We'll come back to her and um, read these verses. 13 to 16, these all, referring to Abraham and all those of which we've already met, um, all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who talk thus, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Years ago, <clears throat> I sat at the bed of a dying member of Emmanuel Church Belmar, Zandra Hall, who described herself as a stranger in a strange land. Now, Zander grew up in Scotland and, um, uh, and, and only came to the United States as a young woman. But her deepest meaning of that expression, being a stranger in a strange land, was not referring to Scotland. Um, like those in verse 15, if she'd been thinking of Scotland, she would have had many opportunities to return. She did, but she always came back. She was referring to her heavenly home. Likewise, when she told the doctor at the hospital that she wanted to go home, he thought that she was referring to Cinnamon New Jersey, Cinnaminson, in New Jersey, which was where she had been recently staying uh, with her daughter, but she was not interested in returning to Cinnamon New Jersey, Cinnamon, in New Jersey. She meant her real home, A better home, a heavenly home, which she claimed by faith. God was surely not ashamed of Xander Hall. Brethren, we're called um, to live a life of patience, patient faith, Uh, a faith that begins with God's call but demands our obedient acquiescence in action. Living as Abraham. Uh, strangers in a foreign land, guiding our hearts from all the lure and the temptations of this world, the flesh and the devil that are no friends to our souls. And we must all be unashamedly ready to hold uh, in faith to the promises and the future of our heavenly home, a city whose foundation is so sure and certain because the architect and builder is the Lord God himself. Father, thank you for um, these words, for the faith of this man Abraham. We, we look upon him and we read about him, we, we see his feet of clay, and yet we see also that he was a, a man well-loved of you, a man of faith, and we call. Lord, we've been called too, and we thank you for that call. And We pray that you would give us that same tenacious faith, to through the ups and downs of our lives, we would never lose sight of you and lose sight of our heavenly home. We're not ashamed to speak of such things. Lord, they are precious to us. And bless us, we pray, uh, for the glory of your name and for the vindication of Christ, we pray. Amen.